the best analogy I can come up with is uh, sort of Hemingway's writing style. Write a sentence and then find out whatever words you can take out of that sentence that aren't necessary uh, to get it down to its very essence and, and as short as possible. And I think that is the key to uh, commercial fly tying in general and uh, mass producing patterns is having everything that needs to be there and nothing that doesn't need to be there. That was Nick Pianessa describing how to make a parachute dry more consistent. Dry fly tips and how to fish Nick's top five today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thank you for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Please smash that subscribe button if you can, or uh, it might be a follow button. Uh, check it out on your app of choice. Just click down in that, uh, if you're new to the show, and click subscribe. And uh, double bonus today, if you share this episode, uh, you will want to uh, give me a shout out as well, because this is going to be an awesome episode, and I'd love to hear if you enjoyed it. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsors. Trestle designs, engineers, and manufactures industry-leading outdoor products and premium apparel. From their patented, game-changing telescopic fly rod carrier and their specialized waterproof cases and fly boxes, to their magnetic nipper system that are revolutionizing how people snip their line. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash trestle to get started today. That's wetflyswing.com slash trestle. T-R-X-S-T-L-E to support this podcast and an amazing product and brand today. We are also uh, presented today by Deddy Flies. Deddy Flies, established in 1928, is the oldest family-run fly shop in the world in their 94th year now. Pretty amazing to have Deddy on. Their mission has always been to uh, connect and create great products for the fly fishing community. We've got more to come from Deddy as well, so just want to jump into it and give a big uh, virtual high five to Deddy. If you get a chance, please give Deddy a high five as well. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Deddy. And uh, let's wrap this intro up and get into it. Nick Pianessa takes us on a journey today of becoming a full-time production fly tire. And he's out in the northeast part of the country. We hear about a little bit out around the New York area, what it was like for him and what it's like now and what he focuses on, but he's covering things all around the country. Nick uh, walks us through some of the most effective and requested dry fly patterns, how to make a steelhead shank and his life tying and fishing steelhead and trout flies for a living. So without further ado, here is Nick Bionessa. How's it going, Nick? Uh, It's going great, Dave. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for taking some time uh, this morning to dig into this. Uh, you're welcome. You're a uh, commercial fly tire. You got a lot, uh, a lot of flies on your Instagram feed, and um, you're up in the Northeast. So we're going to dig into a few topics. Maybe focus a little bit on trout today, trout flies, and tying and things like that. But um, before we jump into that, take us back to. Uh, I always like to go back to how you first got into fly fishing. So take us there. Well, uh, probably the first times I fly fished was on a pond. Uh, one of my older brothers owned a little cabin on a pond and, uh, well, I think probably to get us out of his hair more than anything, uh, sent us out to the dock with the fly rod and some wet flies. And we, you know, backcasted and bent hooks on the boats behind us and everything else and managed to drag a few bluegills and doing it. And, uh, the idea was kind of fascinating right off of, 
the ability to create this thing that I could catch fish with. Yeah. Uh, that really kind of sparked an interest pretty much immediately. Uh, from there it was, uh, you know, kind of a circuitous path that I think a lot of people take. I did a, a lot of fishing as a kid, uh, locally, uh, where you have, uh, you know, some, uh, some streams right around here that were easy enough to, to bike to or walk to. And, uh, my friends were kind of into it too. At this point, you know, mostly spin fishing, uh, pike and smallmouth bass and whatever, you know, whatever we could find around here in the creeks and ponds. Uh, and, uh, the whole time kind of fiddling with fly fishing a bit. Uh, I remember having a couple of old, uh, uh, geez, one I still even, uh, is, is sitting right here is an old, uh, Eagle claw fly rod. One of the first ones I ever actually bought. And, uh, you know, just started using that a little bit sometimes, you know, sometimes it still had a live crayfish on it. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of sorting things out and figuring it out. And, uh, uh, once, uh, a little later as I was in uh, high school, I took a fly tying class once I took uh, one fly tying class from a kind of a local legend here, uh, Mr. Jim Keach at the uh, local store. And, uh, from there it was just, you know, just fly tying just completely took off and uh i honestly i don't think i've fished with a spinning rod ever since so and what was that how old were you when you uh took that class with jim keach you know it's probably i was probably i know i was just out of high school i was probably like 18 or 19 okay yeah just out of high school so that that would have been probably uh yeah 88 probably 89 somewhere in there yeah there you go and then when did it become so now you're kind of like commercial tying, right? Is that kind of the full, what you're spending most of your time doing these days? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do some guiding. Our, our guiding's a little limited here with the, in the Great Lakes, you know, kind of a fall, uh, uh, spring season. So, uh, mostly, you know, fly tying with, uh, supplementing a little guiding in there. A little guiding. Okay. And, and on the commercial tying, so how did, how did you go from that first with Jim Keach up to fully like the, you know, hundred percent with the tying? Uh, let's see. Well, it probably just, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the, I tried to think of this before and I can't really come up with a definitive answer. It just seems to sort of happen. Uh, I think probably the first order I ever did was for, uh, my, my friend Rick's, uh, uh, shop at the time was Oak Orchard Fly Shop. They were out in, uh, Albion, uh, on the Oak Orchard River where they kind of first started. And, uh, his partner, uh, Bob Morrissey, I think, is probably one of the guys that gave me the first order, I'll bet. And it was uh, for a pattern, uh, there's a fly here in the, in the uh, northeast that commonly referred to as a gray fox. It's uh, one of the kind of March Brown family, uh, of, or like Cahill family of insects. And uh, because it's kind of a, a niche hatch, there weren't a lot of commercial patterns available for it, and none that Bob liked. Uh, and, uh, uh, Bob was the kind of guy that was a, he was a very good fly tire, but he hated tying flies. <laughs> he hated, uh, the uh, actual act of, uh, uh, producing flies, you know, tying them for himself to fish was great, but, uh, sitting down and tying a bunch for the shop was just not going to happen. So, uh, so he talked me into it and, uh, I kind of started there and I realized I could, I could do it, you know, and, uh, could put up with the, the kind of inherent boredom of it. Uh, it's probably the biggest thing you got to get around. Uh, and, uh, you know, from there, I just, you know, just kind of snowballed and, and kind of kept progressing. Uh, at the time I was uh, working in printing. So I had a you know, full-time job in the printing industry and I uh, was, you know, actively working there. And then I uh, just, you know, started taking on more and more fly tying orders. Gotcha. How do you, when you're doing it now, how do you get past the, the boredom? Mostly books on tape. Mm-hmm. 
little bit of radio here and there, you know, I listen to the, you know, if there's a, something interesting on, uh, apparently I need to explore podcasts a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that I guess, uh, would, wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be a bad <laughs> idea. Uh, but yeah, stuff like that. I find, uh, you know, it's <laughs> recently, uh, the last year or so I've been on a little bit of a Stephen King kick. Uh, it's, uh, interesting enough reading, but not, not engrossing enough to kind of, uh, distract you. Uh, so <laughs> yep. that's been kind of, uh, uh, recently, uh, I guess the books I've been gravitating to are stuff like that. Uh, a lot of the classics too. Uh, I was able to uh, plow through most of the classics that you, know, you always have this list of classic books you wanted to read and never have time to. So, uh, it was, a, a, a very fortunate to be able to kind of plow through that too. So there you go. So basically, yeah. And I think, uh, the books on tape are good. And if you like books on tape, you definitely will like podcasts because there's always, it's just like Stephen King. There's probably five or who knows, maybe there's a hundred podcasts on Stephen King out there that are just like, you know, Stephen King, whatever, a book club, you know, I mean, there's a podcast for everything. That's yeah. where it's grown. Yeah. After, uh, after talking to you recently, uh, I did look around a little bit and I was, uh, honestly astounded, uh, at this, uh, uh world that I know very little about. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. That's good. Well, that, that's the cool thing about podcasting is that just for perspective, you know, there's hundreds of millions of blogs out there and YouTube channels, but uh, podcasting is still relatively small compared to those, you know, so there's still a ton of room for growth. Mm. And that's the cool thing is that it's just we're, we're kind of things are expanding kind of right now blowing up, but uh, but I think it's going to keep growing and we're going to keep seeing new cool shows coming in, which is great. It is. Um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, the commercial tying. So how many, like, just give us a perspective. How many flies are you tying per day, per week? How, how's that look? Well, it's, uh, it's a typical self-employment situation. So, uh, generally deadline fear, uh, you know, turns most of the wheels here. Uh, so, uh, I work at it pretty much every day. Uh, I work at it a lot of times, you know, watching TV. Uh, we watched a bunch of football yesterday, uh, go bills mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, while doing that, I was, you know, prepping shanks, for example, yesterday was the project, uh, you know, cutting trailer, uh, uh, braid for shanks. And, uh, uh, so like anybody that runs a small business, I'm sure people are extremely familiar with this. It never really seems to end. Uh, you're kind of constantly, you know, working, whether you're, you know, conscious of it or not, or whether you're sitting at your desk working or, you know, walking around the house working, yep. uh, uh, or for that matter, watching football working, uh, so there's that, uh, I'd say, you know, a, a productive day, uh, I try to, if it's steelhead flies, I'll try to get a couple dozen steelhead flies done a day. Uh, if it's trout flies, it really depends on whether I have a large order of the exact same thing, or if I'm doing, you know, nine of these and six of these and, uh, kind of hopping around, mm -hmm. uh, I, I do both. So it really varies a lot, uh, uh. Yeah. When I was tying, uh, commercially for shops more, uh, I would shoot for somewhere around a hundred flies a day, okay. uh, trout flies. Uh, and it's, a uh, you know, <laughs> it's unbearable in a sense. And, uh, and in another sense, it's, uh, kind of par for the course or, or what you should be able to do. Yeah. Uh, especially if you, you know, care to kind of, you know, put a roof over your head and that type of stuff too. Uh, and you know, it really depends as for me, it's, it's most of my income for a lot of people. It's a hobby or it's a, you know, it's a, uh, you know, kind of side gig or something. So maybe, uh, efficiency isn't necessarily key. Uh, but from a commercial standpoint, uh, the orders where you've got, you know, whatever, a thousand of the exact same thing to tie are the most boring, but the best uh, money producers. 
So uh, there's really it's a it's a hard thing to answer as far as kind of production per day, uh, but uh, really just trying to kind of uh, I'd say putting in you know a solid six hours a day almost every day. Six hours a day, yeah. I, and I remember I tied commercially uh, quite a while ago, and I remember that was about the same. I oh. I always felt like eight or yeah, yeah eight dozen uh, whatever eight to ten dozen a day was pretty good. It was a really good day, and I and I you yeah. know what I mean. But and you're tying. Uh, all sorts of things. So are you tying kind of a little bit of everything? Talk about that, like on the trout flies. Who who are you putting these orders now if it's just trout flies? And are you tying a mix of dry flies and, and like nymphs and everything? Let's see. I'd say I, I probably tie the most uh, uh, dry fly. Yeah, un- unquestionably the most dry flies. I think it uh, it's probably a little bit of a mix of my customer base, uh, a little bit of a mix of what I offer as well. And then uh, uh, sort of what I've kind of specialized in and uh, – over the years, I've developed a, a bit of a customer base of people who uh, realize that they, uh, it, it's a funny situation in fly fishing. It's one thing that's always puzzled me is there's guys that are extremely into fly fishing that don't tie. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times you find these guys that they're, they're thinking about it exactly the same way I am uh, in, you know, I see this bug emerging, I see what it's doing, I see how the fish are reacting to it. And I, I, I want something that looks like that and fits that, you know, that imagination they have of what is, what is actually happening there. Uh, but yet they're not really doing it themselves. So I've kind of developed this bit of a following over the years that, uh, I can sort of do that for people, uh, that don't tie, but have that very inquisitive, very, uh, uh, you know, sharp, uh, or mind for sharp details on, on what's going on out there. Uh, so a lot of my uh, patterns now have kind of developed, you know, uh, started off maybe as one thing that have kind of developed between customer preference and, uh, you know, really kind of what we're seeing and what the fish are doing. And also, too, the fact that the little buggers learn about as fast as we can change stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, constantly evolving fly patterns, too, seems to be a, a, a real niche these days, too. Oh, yeah. And how do you do this? So if you have somebody coming in, Describe that process. Somebody's coming in and they're saying, hey, I, I have this thing in my mind. How do you tease out what that fly looks like exactly? Okay, yeah. We usually, typically, I'm trying to think, and I just had this happen the other day. So I'm thinking we started off with a photo that the customer actually found online somewhere. And uh, it was an idea that uh, was actually kind of uh, interesting, I thought, and something I hadn't really seen before. And then it was a matter of changing the colors to meet what we wanted. I think we added the trailing shuck uh, to the pattern, and this mm. was uh, this pattern was a little uh, soft tackle that would be fish dry. Hmm. Uh, and this is uh, uh, mainly for the Delaware River in uh, uh, New York here, which has, in my opinion, the West Branch of the Delaware has some of the pickiest uh, uh, trout in the country. Uh, I've never fished anywhere but America, but as far as my findings in America go, mm-hmm. uh, there are very few harder to catch trout than these guys. Uh, so, uh, again, kind of an, uh, ever evolving fly pattern and, uh, again, this customer, you know, uh, saw something that caught his eye and, uh, sparked an interest and I haven't even tied any yet. We'll see what comes out. Uh, so, you know, I'd say, you know, we probably have a, uh, I'd say 75 to maybe even as high as 90% success rate, uh, you know, a few clunkers in there for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. How, how, how do you get, when you're tying that fly, you got this new fly, how many does it take you to tie before you have that thing completely dialed in? So, so each one is exact. 
Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question because it really, it, it is a process, uh, no doubt. And most of these patterns, I would say this one's relatively simple. It doesn't have a lot of parts. I'd say probably half a dozen or so before I've got, uh, you know, kind of a, a good solid base down. Uh, I wouldn't say I really understand tying the pattern until you got through the first hundred. Uh, and I know this from my production numbers go up considerably. Um, uh, once I get past a hundred flies, uh, it seems like I really, you know, you just, you know what you're picking up before you're even picking it up, uh, for the next step. Uh, before that, a lot of times you're like, what am I doing? Oh yeah, I need this, you know, oh, that's right. I'm doing this. Uh, and then eventually it falls into where you're just kind of automatically adding the next part without even really having to think about it. So, uh, uh, you know, based on that, I'd say, yeah, somewhere's in a hundred, hundred flies or so you really get it down. Uh, the beauty of it is, is that I get to fish a lot of this stuff myself and test them and, uh, you know, kind of fiddle with them from there. If it's not something I originally fiddled with first before sort of turning loose on the public, uh, if this is sort of an on the spot development, it's more of a, you know, try some of these, uh, you know, well, this one didn't float right, or this lays on its side or it doesn't, you know, uh, you know, a lot of fiddling with stuff and then, uh, you know, probably a good half a dozen. Once we decide on the pattern, probably yeah, a good half dozen to kind of get it, uh, you know, the hackle, the right length, the shock, the right length, the, you know, whatever, uh, all that. And, uh, that's always, I think one of the hardest things for people to kind of put together in fly tying <laughs> based on the number of classes I've done with beginners. Uh, everything is out of proportion to begin with. And uh, I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, really gels as you do more and more flies. Yeah, proportions are definitely a, a tough one for some people, especially getting started. What? So that, that's pretty cool. So these flies, like on your website, I think people can come and buy flies out of, on your website, the flies that they could buy like right now. How many of them are flies that are just sure. standard versus flies that were developed by working with another customer? I'd say pretty much every pattern on my stuff. There, there are a couple. I think there's a there's a few flies that are kind of standards, but otherwise, pretty much everything on there has been kind of developed through trial and error. Uh, and uh, some of them have changed drastically over the years, uh, and some of them are you know almost the same as they were kind of uh, conceived. Uh, it's weird how that works, but, uh, but yeah, most of my stuff that's on that most of the stuff that's on my site anyways, has kind of been, uh, self-developed. That's cool. You know, well, as much as, yeah. And, and as much as you can see that in flight tying these yeah. days, I mean, let's face it. It's all, it's all been lashed on a hook at some point. So yeah, no, it, it's true. I, well, I was thinking, I was just, we had uh, Tim Flagler on recently and we were talking of a similar deal and he. He was talking about that, you know, on one of his things, how, you know, just changing an old fly, giving it a new hook with the new design or something can, you know, can change it up a little bit, sure. right? Just that. And he also made a good, I was going to make a, he had a good tip. It was the, like you're talking about, how do you get good? He said he had an old guy when he first started, you'd probably know him. I can't remember his name, but he said that, um, he said, this guy gave him the great tip starting out. He said, tie 15, no, don't tie a dozen, tie 15 flies and then go through each of the 15 and take your three worst flies and give them away. And then, and then he says that that helps him understand, you know what I mean? You get really picky about it. Anyways, he learned that one early on. So I'll put a link in the sure. show notes to that episode, but it seems like you're, like you said, nine yeah. dozen flies, you're feeling pretty good about it. everything's looking the same. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Usually, it usually happens before that, but I'd say, you know, in that, in that range, you're, you're really pretty dialed in. Yeah. Who is the, uh, the, you know, like the customer base. So it sounds like you get people all over the place, but uh, on the flies on your website, where would you say, um, that, you know, those customers were coming from? 
Well, northeast for sure. I'm thinking of shipping addresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a bit out west, uh, both for trout and steelhead. But uh, and then uh, the unique situation where some of my flies get bought here and then taken out to different places, uh, which I always thought was one of the coolest things about uh, commercial fly tying is just all the all the great places my flies have gone. So that's always an interesting point. But I'd, I'd say yeah, my customer base is largely northeast. I would say. Northeast. And whereas before I want to dig into some of those, uh, kind of top flies that you tie there, you know, as far as maybe focus on dry flies, but as far as around the country or around the world, where are a couple of places your flies have gone? Do you know? Uh, tons of places. I tie regularly for uh, a couple of people that, uh, run camps in Alaska. Uh, so a lot of stuff up there, uh, a fair amount when I was, uh, tying a lot more commercially for shops, uh, I tied for a few shops in the, in the West, uh, blue ribbon flies in West Yellowstone, uh, and tied a lot of flies for those guys. Uh, uh, originally too, when I started, uh, it's going back probably about 20 years or so. There's a, a very popular shop in the Northeast here called uh, hunter's angling, uh, which was in, uh, uh, New Hampshire there. And, uh, I taught a lot of Atlantic salmon flies for them. And uh, that was really kind of interesting to see. Uh, a lot of those flies went to even South America for the sea trout. Oh, wow. And then uh, uh, some Norway and uh, uh, European waters. And, of course, you know, Maritime Canada. So uh, my, my flies have definitely traveled much more extensively than I have. That's cool. Yeah, it, it really is. What, what are the on your – let's go to dry flies for a little bit as far as – your top flies, you know, something you get a lot of requests for. It sounds like you get a lot of different requests for little uh, variations, but if you had to say, you know, kind of a, a top, whatever, 10 list of flies, do you, do you have some regular flies or is it just like all over the board? Hmm. I'd say, uh, I'm trying to think of last year here. Uh, I'm just getting started on trout stuff for this year. So mm-hmm. I'd say based on last year, uh, probably the, the most popular fly of my own, kind of creation is uh, a fly called the peacock emerger, mm-hmm. uh, which is a bit of a half and half emerger, uh, really originally designed on the, uh, the sulfur hatch. Uh, we have a super fussy little spring Creek here that, uh, uh the fish are just evil, uh, as far as, uh, <laughs> uh, fooling them and, uh, uh, unfortunately small on top of it. So it's, it's a very humbling place and I owe uh, a large, large, uh, uh, amount of my knowledge to that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it, it it's a, just a great testing ground, but it, it gets a, a tremendous sulfur hatch. It doesn't get a, a wide range of hatches, but it gets a tremendous sulfur hatch. So most of my sulfur patterns have been worked out over there. And, uh, this, uh, peacock emerger in particular, it just, it imitates that, uh, stage on, and it's mostly on ephemerella oh, yeah. uh, species mayflies, but it does, it does, you know, happen with some other ones too, but where they hatch right into film. And, and, uh, essentially the little nymph swims up, you know, jams his head through the surface and uses that, uh, nymph exoskeleton as kind of a, a manhole to crawl out of, uh, onto the surface of the water. And, uh, that takes, uh, yeah, you know, it takes a little bit of time, you know, depending on the weather and temperature and humidity and all for them to pull that off. Some bugs, you know, if the temperature's good and stuff, they bust right out and they're gone. Other ones struggle more. And, uh, one day in particular, I watched a fish that looked like he was eating nothing. And, uh, this is, you know, a huge sulfur hatch. I mean, there's bugs flapping around, you know, fish are jumping out of the water and trying to grab them out of the air. It's just, Jeez. you know, going, going bonkers. And this fish, the biggest fish out there is backing up and then eating stuff that I can't see. 
Uh, so what he was doing was waiting for this nymph to slam into the surface, get trapped for a second and eat every one of them. Hmm. Uh, the smaller fish are chasing the emergers and, you know, throwing themselves out of the water and, uh, you know, uh, snatching at duns that are getting away in front of them. And this guy probably ate every single bug that he moved for. Uh, and what I did was I watched him from the side I was on the, the sort of fishing side. It's a Creek where it's kind of, uh, open on one side and very brushy on the other side. Uh, so then I went up across the bridge, went over to the other side, uh, where I could see him closer and a couple times just before he rose, I saw a little white kind of speck appear. And I guess that was the folded wing of the sulfur starting to poke out of the shuck. And uh, then he would eat it. So based on that, I started thinking about this, you know, half and half emergence thing. And, uh, you know, uh, tied a fly, went back the next day, uh, did not catch him, uh, <laughs> but got a couple looks from him. Uh, went back, fiddled with it some more. A few days later, went back and did end up catching him. So, and that's pretty much what he was doing. And he continued with the exact same thing. Actually, even after I caught him, he stuck with the exact same tactic. There you go. Uh, that's and, really uh, cool. Yeah. And I've since seen fish in a lot of places do that. And it's that little transition. And again, you know, if you're fishing, a, a there's a stream that, 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 that little spring Creek goes into where, uh, the fish are very picky too, but it's, uh, it's a bigger stream. There's a lot more fish, uh, more of a freestone stream and, you know, they'll take a, a, a Catskill sulfur, you know, a lot of times. Uh, and, and so it's odd that the water or the pressure or the, whatever it is, plays such a role in how these fish react. Uh, so if I have to put that much effort into catching every fish, it's kind of a long day. Uh, but, uh, uh, when necessary, I think we can, you know, use our, in most cases, much larger brain, uh, mm-hmm. to put one over on these guys. Uh, but it's not, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the effort isn't always necessary mm-hmm. to do that, Yeah. but when we need to, uh, makes it fun. yeah. And, and it really, there, there's rivers where we need to, and, and everybody's got them. I, you know, I yeah. hear these, uh, uh, spring creeks in California that are, are uber picky, uh, uh, for myself, I fished the, the Henry's Fork and, uh, you know, a lot of the famous wi- uh, rivers around Yellowstone, uh, which get a, you know, crazy amount of pressure despite, you know, the, the Western outlook and all that stuff. Uh, you know, they get as much pressure as a lot of these Eastern rivers. So, uh, uh fish are super picky. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, thank God there's a lot of streams where it really doesn't matter. <laughs> so. A quick break from, uh, one of our sponsors, Togan's Fly Shop, providing great quality products at a super awesome price. Uh, Togans has tons of flight time materials, accessories, all sorts of stuff to cover you, and they've been going for quite some time now. If you have any questions, you can check out Togans, wetflyswing.com slash Togans. Uh, they're offering now a uh, flight tying box, which simplifies the process, especially if you're brand new to it. Uh, they'll send you out one shipment, and you can have your materials packed in one box. I know this is a struggle for some, uh, especially getting started or if you just want to mix it up. So the mystery fly tying box is a good place to dig into it. And, uh, you know, they've got products uh, that are going to arrive pretty quickly. I know when I last made my order, it was only a couple days to get my order from Togan's. So it's pretty cool. Togan's is actually uh, up in Canada, which is awesome. And you would think that uh, given uh, where we're at today, that it might take a little bit longer. But they got their infrastructure set up pretty awesomely and uh and very smoothly so 
Since 2005, Togans has been rolling on this. Uh, you can head over, like I mentioned before, Togans, 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 wetflyswing.com slash Togans, T-O-G-E-N-S, to get started. And, uh, and support uh, Justin and his pops right now uh, today. Okay, let's get back to the show now. What is the, I'm curious on, so well, you mentioned one there, so the Peacock Commercial, definitely, I'm sure that's on your website. Uh, give us a couple more, give us a couple more flies that are pretty popular that you're tying that are maybe, you know, I don't know if they're variations of something, but so we can add to this, uh, this little list here to give people a feel for what you tie. Okay. Uh, another one I could think of right off the top of my head is a, a parachute spinner pattern. And it's a pretty simple concept. I honestly, it's one of those ones where I look at and think why no one else thought of it before. <laughs> Uh, and it simply, I'm basically tying a parachute pattern, hackling it a little more than I normally would, and then trimming a V in the front and rear of the, of that, uh, you know, horizontal sitting hackle. Mm -hmm. And it essentially makes a, uh, a wing profile, uh, uh, or more of a spent wing profile. All uh, right. Yeah. So after fishing here in the East, you know, again, we'll, we'll go back to the sulfur hatch or even the Hendrickson hatch can be a little little late at times uh in the evening uh sulfurs in particular they have this annoying habit of not really the spinners a lot of times don't fall until it's totally dark uh the the warmer it gets to the later it happens so a lot of our fishing takes place in a lot of our best fishing takes place in some super low light conditions and you know most spinner patterns are designed to you know sit pretty flush to the water and, and you know keep a low profile which means you can't see them at all uh, which, you know, you throw it out there, especially the effective ones. Uh, so, uh, just trying to add a parachute post, you know, something you could keep an eye on better. Uh, the other thing with picky fish too, is they of course demand a good drift, uh, on spinners in particular, they will get, uh, a very narrow lane. Uh, a lot of times there's, you know, a, a huge amount of bugs on the water. Fish will get on one particular seam and eat every bug that floats down <laughs> that seam. But if you're an inch off of that seam, they don't even see it. It's, it's, you know, the fly really doesn't even exist for them. So, uh, not only do you need to present a good fly, you need to present it where the fish is eating them. So that, that ability to see where the fish is exactly and get your fly on his individual piece of current, uh, is key. So if you can't really tell where your fly is, you're going to be a lot less successful than when you can really sort of target that exact lane. Uh, so visibility in spinners has always been a bit of a hurdle. And uh, I feel that that fly has uh, uh, come a long way to uh, uh, at least make that better. Uh, you know, in any time you're adding something to the top of the fly in spinners, I think it does make it slightly less effective. So there's uh, there's a downside to everything. You know, where you know these guys are working as hard to defeat us as we are working to defeat them. So uh, uh, there, uh, uh, I wouldn't say it works on every single super picky fish but it works on probably 90% of them. Uh, and the fact that you can actually, you know, see where your fly is fishing, uh, I think plays a big role in that too. But, uh, uh, yeah, so the, 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 uh, uh, parachute, uh, spinner pattern, uh, definitely one that, uh, probably should be being used by more people. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm just, I just clicked over to your site and I'm looking at a bunch of, yeah, a bunch of cool flies. I think there's a couple you mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, how many flies do you have? It seems like that's always the interesting thing because there's. Uh, it looks like you just got a ton of flies. How many do you have any idea how many flies are on your website for dry flies? You know, I don't. And honestly, it's uh, it's hugely outdated. Uh, I could probably put 
uh, at least a couple dozen more uh, on, and that's actually been a, a bit of a goal for this year. Uh, but uh, I'm getting a bit swamped again on uh, oh, actual yeah. work. So yeah, it, it's always uh, gotcha. uh, is any any small business. You know, there's like you know the list every day is 17 things, and if you get through four of them, you're doing pretty good. That's right. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you get through your what your what your list piles up? Because we all struggle with that. You got you got a hundred things on it, and you probably only have enough time to get ten things done in the week. How, oh, how do you yeah. how do you deal with that? How do you prioritize? Uh you know, yeah, as, as I mentioned before, it's, uh, I do have a procrastination streak. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, I'm full of distractions. Uh, our, our fishing, you know, is, uh, here is almost year round. So if I, if I really wanted to have an excuse to get out every day, I probably could. Uh, so usually, you know, and this is strictly based on my personality. Uh, it's usually deadline distress. You know, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably what, what drives most stuff, that's you know, it. all right, I really need to get this done now. Uh, you know, and I, I do try to work on everything as hard as I can every day, but I, I will admit to failing on that on, and you know, many days. So, uh, and you know, on top of it too, I mean, uh, I own a home, you know, so there's, yeah. you know, a million, a million distractions, uh, as far as that goes from, you know, making dinner to cutting the grass. You That's know? right. So yeah, yeah. All the normal stuff. Yeah. Any, any small business person could certainly, uh, you know, see that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. So I, and, uh, well, I'm curious, let's take a, you know, just think about those flies. You, you mentioned a couple and some tips. I'm curious on tying, if we take it to like tying tips, if you think about maybe the peacock emerger, are there any techniques or tips on tying that fly that people could utilize for either that fly or other flies that you'd recommend? Maybe one tip you could shed some light on. I'm not looking at the fly right now, so I'd have to, I'm not quite sure exactly what it looks like, but we could all take a look. Yeah, that fly, I would say uh, the thing that people struggle with the most is the uh, deer hair wing. Uh, it has, uh, uh, this wing, uh, setting style or this, this style, I believe comes from Renee Harrop's hair wing fly. I think, what do you call it? A hair wing done, uh, I think was Renee Harrop's original pattern. And uh, that's where I stole that wing, uh, uh, style from. Uh, but I think people have the most problem with, uh, with that, uh, is setting that wing properly. It takes place right behind the eye and the butts of the, of the wing, kind of create the head of the fly. So it's a little similar to an elk hair caddis in that sense. Uh, and the way that I have done it over the years, uh, and there's kind of two ways, uh, either you can tie the wing in with the butts still attached and then clip them off afterwards, or you can clip the butts off first and then, uh, catch that kind of short end of the butts with the thread and lock it down. Uh, I find the latter version to be much better, especially on smaller flies, uh, uh, trimming the butts off first, but it is a technique that's a little hard to, to master at first. Uh, but I, I think in general, it makes the whole rest of, you know, finishing off the fly and that easier. Uh, and it also makes for a, a more secure wing and uh, kind of a better finish to the fly. Uh, okay. So if I were to, leave the butts on the hair. Uh, this would be, a, you know, a hollow, uh, uh, comparadon type deer hair. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would lash that down and most of my thread wraps are going to kind of end up in the same place. I can pull it back and I can wrap in between a little bit, but it tends to make a kind of a bulkier head, mm -hmm. uh, once I trim it off. So I don't end up usually with quite as secure of a head. If I trim the butts off first, I'll, I'll take two loose wraps around it and I'm trying to catch maybe about a millimeter or so. Yeah. And obviously that's going to vary a little bit for 
size of the fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll try to catch maybe a millimeter or so of the end of the butt and uh, uh, cinch down on that, get it to flare and lock down to the hook. And then I'll actually wrap the thread into those butts a bit uh, and kind of trap it down in more places, uh, uh, kind of staying in between it a bit. And it just gives her a very secure wing. Your wing won't rock back and forth uh, much. Uh, a lot of people, uh, if you, uh, in just, you know, uh, you shouldn't go mangling uh, uh, flies in the shop, but uh, <laughs> I guarantee if you pick up a lot of uh, commercially available elk hair caddis oh, yeah. right now, yeah, you can swing the ring, wing right over to the side without any trouble at all. That's right. Uh, so uh, those little types of things, I think, are just points that, take you to the next level, I guess, of, yeah. uh, of, of fly tying. And it's always, uh, <laughs> nothing brings the, uh, the fly tying, uh, class to a screeching halt, like, uh, setting deer hair wings. <laughs> uh, uh, maybe the whip finisher is the only, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, when yeah. it comes to beginner classes. Yeah. Deer hair is tough. Yeah. Those two things do seem to, uh, kind of torment people a bit. Uh, so yeah, getting a, a handle on that and get just getting comfortable with handling the hair and, you know, especially in the smaller ones, uh, the amount of hair, mm-hmm. uh, all of that are, are definitely hurdles, uh, probably the biggest hurdles to that fly. Yeah, that is big. No, that's good. And, and what about let's, before we jump into a few more flies here, I'm just curious on the, um, the, uh, the spinner you mentioned, the parachute spinner, is there a, sure. is there a tip or a technique or something on tying that one you might highlight here? Uh, yeah. Uh, Parachutes in general are, are really, uh, I've probably seen a million ways to tie parachutes and I, I've fiddled with a bunch myself. I, uh, years ago I had a order of several thousand parachute flies <laughs> to get through and it really forced me to sit down and try to just, it's funny. I, I learned this from AK best and that mm. uh, AK best book in particular production tying. Uh, he really, uh, talks about trying to, you know, it's almost a distillation process. And, uh, the only, the best analogy I can come up with is, uh, sort of Hemingway's writing style, write a sentence and then find out whatever words you can take out of that sentence that aren't necessary, uh, to get it down to its very essence and, and as short as possible. And I think that is the, the key to, you know, commercial fly tying in general and, and, you know, uh, mass producing patterns is having everything that needs to be there and nothing that doesn't need to be there. Uh, and that comes to the, the technique of tying as well as the parts and everything else. So, uh, so I sat down and really fiddled with, with parachutes for a long time. And, uh, I've done, uh, I did do a, I think at the time, I think I did it on Facebook. I'm, I'm not really on Facebook anymore, but, uh, I did do a tying tutorial on my parachute technique somewhere. Oh, nice. I might even be on Instagram. Oh yeah. But uh, what I do is I uh, almost all of my parachutes are tied with poly yarn uh, for the mm-hmm. wing. Uh, and I'll use, you know, different poly yarns. I've been using uh, a little bit uh, different materials recently, some more shinier stuff and that. But in general, you know, some sort of synthetic poly yarn. Yeah. So what, what I do, I start with the tail, tying the tail. Typically on the tail, I will bend back the butts of the tail uh, down along the body, cut them off at a taper, and use the thread to kind of build a taper. Uh, for the abdomen of the fly. So I would have the fattest part in the center tapering down towards the tail uh, for the back half of the fly. So then on the front part uh, there where I'm going to put the wing, what I would do is take a a piece of poly yarn, uh, half of what I want the whole wing to be, and I'm going to bend that underneath the hook and pull it up till it's vertical 
uh, on top of the hook. And I, I basically bring my thread over it and uh, lash it down. So it's essentially bent underneath the hook and pulled straight up uh, and then tied down. So what that does is it creates a taper from the wing post down to the eye. So I've got the, the thorax part is the fattest part. I've got a taper from the butt uh, or from the tail up to the center and from the center down to the eye. So that yeah. just kind of builds a, a nice platform yeah. uh, there. And then uh, what I usually do at that point, if it's a dubbed fly, uh, I would dub the body uh, altogether. And then I tie in the hackle vertically on the post. So my hackle would be tied in by the butt sticking straight up, uh, you know, parallel with the post. Uh, bring my thread back to the eye, uh, kind of around the dubbing. And I can even, you know, if it's a bigger pattern where you, you've got to make a couple turns, I'll put a little more dubbing on the thread uh, just to hide the thread. Uh, bring the dubbing back to the eye, wrap the hackle, and tie the hackle off, uh, you know, behind the eye. Uh, if you try that or, or actually tie them that way, they're extremely durable. The fly will pretty much never come apart unless you break the hackle stem. Uh, so, uh, it, it's just a, an efficient way to do them, uh, and uh, just an easy way to, to, to kind of complete parachutes. The other, uh, point with the, the poly yarn too, is I'm able to leave it a little longer because it's cheap poly yarn and, uh, uh, I can hold on to it well, wrap my hackle around it easily. And then, uh, when I'm done, uh, whip finishing it off, I might mash the hackle a little bit. I can hold that post and kind of preen my hackle back into shape where it's supposed to be and then clip the post off where I want it. Yep. There you go. So it just makes for a fairly easy way to do them. Uh, if you're doing calf tail or, you know, calf body hair ones, you're stuck with the old style. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still like that, uh, uh, you know, tying one or tying the back into the center, or, you know, the tail into the center and the, the post down to the eye. Uh, but you're, you're forced to, you know, stack it first and deal with that short length yeah. and everything. Yeah, so for my own flies, I avoid it altogether. <laughs> yeah. It seems like the calf tail is, is not the best, easiest material to work oh, with. Oh, it's brutal. Do you still tie, yeah. do you tie any with the calf tail? For myself, no. Uh, I did just tie a bunch of wolves for a, a, a customer, and I uh, had to had to use a bunch of calf tail. And uh, uh, in the bigger, these were for Atlantic salmon, so it wasn't too bad. Uh, but yeah, it is definitely uh, one of my least favorite materials to work with. It, it just takes a uh, it takes longer to do than anything else. You have to kind of hand yeah. stack it a little Stiff. bit. It, it's it, yeah, it doesn't uh, because of the kind of kinkly nature of it. It doesn't stack well. It kind of fights you in the stacker. So, uh, uh, definitely a time consuming material. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's keep going. Let's try to get a few more of these flies. I'm just curious to give us a perspective on some of the stuff you're tying regularly. What, what are some other top dry flies that you've, uh, you know, that you get requests for or something on your site? Hmm. I'm trying to think here, you know, I probably, sh I probably should have looked at that again. Uh, I could take a look and I'm looking at a couple of these might be older ones, but I'm looking at like, okay. um, uh, well, there's a, there's a few here, one of them, and maybe this is similar, but like the disabled Dunn Hendrickson, is that okay. similar to, yeah. No, that's, a, that's a good one to bring up. Uh, that is a, a bit of a unique style of, uh, uh, of tie there too. That fly again, basically for fussy trout, uh, and, and trying to just have another option as I've often said about, especially sulfurs. Uh, in the Northeast here, you, you literally cannot have enough patterns. Hmm. Uh, even what killed them yesterday might be completely useless the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, so having, you know, having more ammo, uh, you know, more, more things to try uh, on a day-to-day -day basis really uh, uh, comes in. So that that's where that uh, uh, fly has come in. And it's another one that's uh, designed to kind of imitate that 
uh, emergent stage or where they're kind mm-hmm. of stuck for a minute or mm-hmm. a fly that's uh, and, uh, typically we've been calling them uh, cripples. Uh, and uh, in an effort to be a little more PC, uh, 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 and, right. uh, because that name hadn't been taken yet as well, uh, I went with the disabled done. But it is an effort to imitate that bug that probably isn't going to make it uh, one way or another. Either it's going to get eaten because it can't get away or it's going to end up jammed under a log jam somewhere. Uh, but uh, uh, that's what it's really designed to imitate. And uh, uh, the the interesting technique or the, the really... Uh, the main technique on that fly is putting snowshoe rabbit into a dubbing loop. And, hmm. uh, I've managed to tie these down to 18s even, and it oh, gets wow. a little tricky. Uh, uh, so, uh, what I do to start with, I guess we got to go back to the material is, uh, I'm taking, uh, uh, snowshoe rabbit feet and usually using the, the hair along the heel section of it. If you're very familiar with these feet, they tend to have longer, a little kinkier hair, uh, up near the toe section of the foot and the heel part of the foot tends to have shorter, a little more uniform hair. Uh, so typically I'll take and, uh, uh, use an exacto blade and, and kind of cut that hair off as, as close as I can, uh, down and I'll put it in the little coffee grinder and buzz it up a little bit. till I have a, a nice mix of the very soft under fur and the very stiff guard hairs of it. And I'll uh, try to keep it relatively short. Uh, and then, uh, so you would basically tie the back half of the fly is tied similarly to a nymph. In fact, on most of them, I use a, a wire rib, uh, which is an effort to get that, that uh, body to sit very low, uh, in the back and to kind of hang down. I do them on a, the hook I typically use is a Daiichi 1260, which is a longer mm-hmm. kind of gradually curved, uh, uh, hook. Uh, so I want to get that bottom part to sit down. Uh, the tail is usually wood duck or on the bigger ones. Uh, I use ostrich to imitate a, like a green drake shuck. Uh, and, uh, so what I'm trying to imitate here is either the tails of the fly, the, the tails of the nymph or kind of a shuck part on the back as it's breaking open, uh, more of a nymph color on the back. And then the thorax of the fly would match the, uh, done section. Uh, so back half's kind of tied like a, almost like a hair's ear nymph. Uh, I'm pretty much using hair's ear type dubbing, a little bit different in color scheme, but uh, along those lines, uh, ribbing it, and then uh, tying in a deer hair wing uh, like you would tie in a comparadon. Yeah. Uh, so the deer hair wing is kind of centered uh, in the uh, uh, thorax part. And then I do make a little short, maybe two inch long dubbing loop, and this is done with the same 8-0 tying thread that I'm using, so you got to be somewhat delicate with it. Uh, I've tried using a heavier thread, and I... I don't like the uh, performance as much. So I've just learned to kind of be delicate with the 8.0, but uh, doing dubbing loops and 8.0 thread is a little bit of a challenge. You have to have a, uh, uh, a bit of a finesse. Uh, but anyway, so I, I'd load up about an inch and a half or so uh, of hair in that uh, loop. And I'm trying to keep the hair very thin. Essentially what I'm trying to make is a hair hackle. Uh, once I spin that up, I'm going to have it and actually what I'll do is put the hair in the loop oh, right. and then trim it off. Uh, yep. So I'm keeping it pretty flat in the loop and then I'll trim off the tips of it and try to get it about the length I want, uh, before I spin it up. Uh, then when I spin it, I'm essentially making kind of a hair hackle. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm, so That's I'm right. going to wrap that up from the back, kind of go past the wing and tie it off in the front. And it does that great job of floating the fly, uh, very good job of like trapping air bubbles and stuff when you false cast, and uh, it's kind of a proven shape 
Uh, you're, you know, we're basically talking Comparadon uh, or Sparkle Dawn shape. So that's a, a very proven, very effective uh, shape. And then just yeah. adding a little bit of kind of diffusion to the area where stuff's going on and the thoughts that it looks like just kind of a messy emergence or, a, thorax. you know, a, yeah, a busted shocker, or a, you know, as you're trying to climb out. So that's right. Well, what is the, on the Comparadon wing, does it matter if it's, you know, kind of going backwards a little bit or straight up versus forward? Because you kind of see a little bit on, looks like this one's going back a little bit. Yep. On those flies, the, the wing is tied uh, with the butts forward. Uh, on that fly. That's a good point to notice, Dave. Uh, mm-hmm. It is uh, uh, tied more like that hair wing style. Uh, compared nuns are, are, in my opinion, always tied with the butts in the back. Uh, I tried to fight that for a while years ago. Uh, I have no idea. It seems backwards to fly the way the, the wing looks on the fly seems mm-hmm. backwards. I mean, no, no mayfly has a wing that slants over its head. No. Uh, every, every mayfly wing slants towards the abdomen. I have no idea why that fly works as well as it does. Uh, it's one of the, the sparkle done in my opinion is if you could only ever have one dry fly, I would probably choose the sparkle done. Even oh, it's, really? you know, it's, it's, it's Craig Matthews fly. Uh, it's, huh. uh, it started with the Swisher Richards, uh, uh comparison. Oh, yeah. And then I think, uh, uh, Matthews added the trailing shuck and changed the, uh, his version to the sparkle done. Uh, in my opinion, it is one of the most effective flies ever invented. Wow. Uh, on top of it, it's, uh, a, a cheap and simple fly to tie. Once you get a relationship with the deer hair wing. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a cheap, uh, uh fly, That's but awesome. it, it, it is, it, it's just an, it's an amazingly effective fly. Uh, if, if people listening to this are not using it on pressured fish, do yourself a favor and try some, uh, especially the, the shuck version, the sparkle bun and amazingly effective dry fly. There you go. Well, that, and that's a good point. Yeah. The sparkle dung works all around. I mean, it seems like everywhere, uh, so yeah. what are so that you mentioned that as a good one a good fly that you just like I'm not sure how many of those you tie what are some other flies you it sounds like you do quite a bit of fishing as far when you're uh, tying or fishing the uh, the dry flies out there what other flies do you like to fish well the the ones we've talked about I probably fish the most mm-hmm. uh, you know in my own fishing for for picky fish a couple other uh, flies that I probably use. Uh, in, in Western New York here, we have, uh, some of these, these creeks that are, you know, uh, spring creeks to limestone kind of streams, which are pretty difficult, uh, you know, from a selective fish standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a lot of small wild streams that are, uh, super spooky. The fish are like very hard to approach at times. They're very, very small water, very spooky fish. Uh, but on the other hand, pretty much dumb as stumps, as far as, uh, uh flies, you know, selection goes, uh, if you can get it on the water without scaring them, they'll probably eat it. Uh, so, uh, one of my favorite all time flies, uh, uh, for fishing that water is a, uh, uh, about a size 12, uh, yellow bodied stimulator. Oh, stimulator. Yep. Yeah. We have a lot of, uh, kind of yellow stone flies around here. A lot of mm-hmm. kind of small stone flies, a lot of lighter colored caddis, all that stuff. And there's really, there's not a specific bug that we see all the time that, uh, this fly imitates, but, uh, for some reason, a, a yellow, uh, yellow bodied sulfur, pretty light colored in general, uh, usually like a ginger hackle on the body and a grizzly hackle on the, on the thorax, mm-hmm. uh, is just, uh, extremely productive fly. 
uh, uh, for those streams. Yeah. So stimulators always been one of my favorites, kind of a classic love hate relationship tying them. One last quick break for uh, our final sponsor today. They're back, baby. They're back. Fly Fishing Film Tour is back. Don't miss this year's 2022 F3T as it returns to theaters near you. Another amazing season. This is really some cool stuff um, that I remember back to my first uh, my first session at F3T. And uh, not only do you get a lot of the guests that you've heard on this podcast to see some of their videos, uh, like Captain Jack uh, Productions. I'm not sure if Nick has anything going this year, but... Uh, it's just some of the best, basically, film out there as far as fly fishing, and it's kind of like that Warren Miller style of uh, coolness and diversity. So, uh, so yeah, this is awesome. It's a good place to take your friends or family or yourself. Head out there, and uh, you can go to a special event, grab a beer, sit back, relax. Uh, given that there's no uh, COVID uh, outbreak, obviously, um, but kidding aside, uh, get out there and do it. Let's, let's put this behind us and, uh, let's jump into F3T full on and support them. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash F3T to show your support for this podcast and get your inspiration for your next big trip right now. That's it. Let's do this. Uh, wetflyswing.com slash F3T, or, uh, you can just head over to flyfilmtour.com. Booyah. Okay. Back to the show. Give us a tip on that. Is that all about having the right hackle or how do you tie a good stimulator? Because sometimes you see those that are nice and thin and sometimes even yep. flattened and stuff like that. But how do you make one that isn't just bulky and, and nasty looking? Well, the the main, it's funny. Sometimes these flies are invented and then I blame Umqua personally. Let's just go right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but a lot of times these flies get, they get commercialized and, and they tend to lose the points that they, they originally Right. Uh, succeeded with uh, uh, a glaring example I can think of right off the bat is the fly that everyone knows as the thorax, which I believe is credited to Mike Lawson uh, from Henry's Fork Anglers there originally. Uh-huh. Uh, bears almost zero resemblance to uh, Vince Marinero's original thorax pattern, huh. uh, which was designed specifically to look like the way a mayfly sit on the water. Uh, and uh, these flies are almost unrecognizable one to the other. Uh, yet they, they have the same name. Uh, and I think, uh, when that happened, it was of course, you know, uh, not that Lawson's pattern is a bad pattern. It's just that it is kind of been refined down so much that it really doesn't even bear any resemblance to the original. Uh, and I think at the expense of some of the good points of the original, uh, which were mainly the, the exact way it sat on the water more than the actual look of the fly. Uh, Marinero was very concerned with, uh, the impression flies made a lot more than the, the actual pattern of the fly. So trying to sort of look at it from the, the fish's viewpoint a little bit. So I think at times we can sort of, uh, oh, maybe outwit ourselves a little bit, uh, simplifying things. So you definitely have to be cognizant of that, uh, to not, uh, in the distillation process to not remove the, uh, the key elements, yeah. you know, in, in any pattern really. So, uh. But uh, as far as uh, uh, concerns the actual, you know, the stimulator itself and tying it, uh, the point of that is that that rear hackle should be uh, at most about the gap of the hook. Uh, And that's kind of a key element to getting that fly to sit properly. You don't want a long hackle on the back. And it was the reason originally it was tied with two hackles. Uh, So the, the, the front hackle should be kind of normal dry fly hackle. 
And uh, that really affects the way the fly sits. So that's uh, uh, one key. And then the other one, I think, is getting the proportion right of thorax to body. And uh, it's it should be uh, a little closer to half than a third. I think most people think it's about a third. If you, if you try to tie them at about a third, you'll find that your front gets short in a hurry. Uh, so yep. I think uh, uh, if you start yeah. off... Yeah, thinking it about halfway, you'll probably creep towards five eighths, which is probably about where it should be. So, yep. And then there's plenty of uh, is it is it deer hair or elk hair on that thing? Uh, probably depends. I think the original was elk, but uh, yeah. I'll I'll use whatever myself. More more on color than anything. Yeah, more color, more color. Yep. Nice, nice. Okay, so this is good. So we got a, a little uh, a little list here. I'm curious if we're taking it, say March. Um, you know, what's it look like? Tell us in March. Are you fishing much uh, trout wise in March in Western New York? Myself, not really. Uh, but probably a little bit. If I did go anywhere, it would be to uh, to a spring creek here that gets a pretty good midge hatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be about it. I personally don't take a lot of pleasure in nymphing for trout anymore. It's just not something I really enjoy. And, you know, and, uh, before, before the politics even gets a chance to enter into this, uh, <laughs> I base my fishing on what I like to do, what I personally enjoy to do when I'm on the stream. I think every angler should do that exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, don't listen to your friends. Don't listen to whatever else, you know, Oh, nymphing's bad. Oh, you know, dry flies are snobs whatever. I mean, fish, fish, you know, that's the whole idea of going fishing is to enjoy yourself. Uh, go out and enjoy yourself, fish the way you like to fish. I personally like to dry fly fish. I'd like to see trout come up to my fly. Uh, if I have to, (laughs) uh, nymph, I'd like, I do enjoy some sight fishing, uh, nymphing. Uh, a lot of these, uh, uh, spring creeks, you can, you can see the fish relatively well and, uh, fishing, uh, uh, small midge pupas to them and, and trying to, uh, see when the fish actually eat your fly, uh, to me is kind of a, a fascinating way to nymph, uh, yeah. and, uh, about the only way I really enjoy it. I just, I just don't really enjoy, uh, nymphing very much. So, uh, so most of our kind of spring fishing, I would be steelhead fishing or still tying. So you're still tying, yeah. And yeah. It, that's a good note on the the poly- we had a recent listener ask me, or we were talking about episodes, new episodes. And he said, "Do one on the New York area." I think he was thinking about the Salmon River of all the explain the different types of steelhead. You know, like you got people flossing out there. I guess you got all sorts of different things. And he said, <laughs> sure. he says he, it's a big challenge for people new because he said there's this one guy who went out on a guide trip. He was brand new to steelheading, went with a guide who basically taught him how to floss. Sure. And then he got out there and he was just flossing all the time. And then he didn't even know that some people look down at that. You know what I mean? So I think just clarifying for especially people new to it, like what is except, well, I don't even know acceptable. But I think you say it the best, like whatever you're having a good time doing, just do that. Right. As long as it's legal, what's wrong with doing that sort of thing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess I should, uh, I guess I, I, these days I probably should put a, uh, legality or ethics, uh, uh clause on that. Uh, <laughs> definitely the, the big no, no's in, in whether it's steelhead or anything else, uh, around here is, is fishing to fish that are actively spawning. Oh, uh, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, that's definitely yeah. uh, a bottom of the bucket type stuff there. Yeah. Uh, now in the spring, in the Great Lakes or out west, there's uh, uh, definitely seasons that coincide with spawning fish. If you're swinging a fly down a run and you happen to hook uh, uh, a hen that's that's bearing eggs or even is dumping eggs occasionally happens, I don't consider that to be the angler's fault. You know, uh, if you're targeting 
you know, uh, gravelly <laughs> shallow areas where you can see fish spawning and you're, you know, kind of working that stuff. That's, you know, definitely, uh, uh getting off the ethics, uh, uh, bandwagon a little bit there. Uh, yeah. but, uh, you know, at times we catch, you know, drop back fish, we catch spawning fish, uh, just kind of swinging down a run, you know, they're, they're sitting there, they, you know, somebody spooked them off a red, they move into the run to kind of rest, uh, or hide a little bit, whatever. Uh, so that, that type of stuff happens. I don't think that's bad. It's kind of inadvertent, you know? Uh, but on the other hand, if I go out in the spring, I'll see a lot of guys walking around in their riffles with, you know, three feet of fly line hanging out of the rod tip. And they're basically like looking for fish to cast to. Uh, oh, right. nah, yeah. Now those, those are fish that are, you know, actively up on the gravel spawning. Yeah. You know, that's bad. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just not, not a, it's not a good thing to do. Uh, it's not an ethical thing to do. No, uh, no, definitely not. Definitely as far not. as that goes. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest, uh, no, no, obviously, you know, outright snagging fish. Honestly, Dave, I, a couple weeks ago, I was fishing mm-hmm. a, uh, a stream here and I snagged one with a swung fly. Uh, I completely, uh, water was kind of low. I was using an unweighted, uh, uh, rig. I had a, a, a size 10 bugger with a cone on it. So a uh-huh. very small fly, very little weight. And I ended up hooking one basically in the adipose fin. Oh, uh, a steelhead. Yeah. So I'm sure I just hmm. kind of swung it across its back, uh, yep. and, uh, uh, and ended up, you know, it, it found a spot to grab and, uh, and it honestly, it felt just like a take too. The fly was just starting to straighten out at the end and felt a little thump and fish on and, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, this feels weird. And then he's, you know, yep. flying all over the place. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. Tough to land, but you know, <laughs> so stuff happens, you know, uh, but you know, if you're out there, you know, again, walking around with a couple of feet of fly line out looking for fish, yeah, you're, you're being unethical. So, uh, I guess just a little, little touch on that. <laughs> That's a good reminder. Uh, and you mentioned steelhead just for a quick second. I'm curious on steelhead sure. flies. What's your, you know, I know you tie a lot of steelhead flies out there. What, what's your number one most like right now, what are you tying most of for steelhead flies? Hmm. Probably, probably the pattern I've tied the most the last couple of years is a, a pattern called a bill spay, which is a, it's a spay fly, but it's a, uh, do you want to go into this? <laughs> uh, it, well, I, I mean, is this uh, if, if we have to do a whole episode, maybe we could wait on it, but if you could maybe do it in a few minutes then yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll try to kind of uh, brush through it here relatively quickly. Uh, this fly is, uh, it's a, kind of a modern spay fly, I guess we'll call it. And it, it's, uh, achieving a spay look, but it's not using a spay hackle. What I'm actually using for the hackle on it is, uh, bleach burned pheasant tail and sometimes turkey tail. Uh, so these are fibers that have been put in bleach enough to burn the little rakeas off them that make them grip together like Velcro. So these are now fibers that are loose and won't cling together. Uh, so, uh, essentially what you do is you tie in a section of dubbing, uh, and then you tie in a clump of pheasant tail uh, by the butts, work it around the hook as much as you want, uh, lash them down good, tie another section of dubbing, uh, tie another section of pheasant tail. So when you're done, it looks like a hackle is palmered up the body. Hmm. Well, this allows me to, uh, to create effective, durable spay flies, but, uh, not using the kind of regular materials form, which uh, typically are, we're using, a material that is uh, a goose shoulder feather, which has also been burned in bleach to achieve that same kind of heron-like, you know, texture to it and, and where the fibers won't stick together. Uh, but they're kind of a, a poor substitute. 
Uh, in this country, uh, blue heron, uh, great blue heron, is still illegal to use. Uh, there is some uh, use of uh, uh, gray heron, which is from uh, uh, Europe, uh, which is harvested at times. So uh, uh, there is some of that around. Gray heron, ob- uh, honestly, is kind of a poor substitute, too. Tends to be very long fibers. Uh, uh, great blue heron, there's an obvious reason that that was spay hackle. It's yeah. by far the most impressive spay hackle. Uh, we have blue-eared pheasant, too, which does a decent job, but is ten- tends to be uh, uh, kind of short stemmed so very hard to palmer over much of a body uh if you're lucky you can get two or three turns on a palmer with uh uh, with blue eared pheasant so this fly was designed basically to be able to tie spay flies without having to uh you know sort of kill ourselves to come up with hackle and uh there you go it's uh typically has either a bronze mallard or uh recently i use a a feather wing version of it for the most part and uh, just a very buggy fly uh good low water fly and uh I guess unique enough that it's probably the last couple of years I've, I've probably tied more of those uh, than any other steelhead fly. Yeah, it's a good looking fly. I'm, I'm looking at it now, and you have a what's the feather wing on top? Uh, usually, uh, either a dyed uh, grizzly or a Cree uh, hackle, mm. depending on what I can get. I tend to go through a lot of it, and honestly, uh, if there's any uh, uh, bird raiser guys out there, uh, get us more hackle with round tips. Uh, all, everybody's, nice. you know, they've all gone to, you know, finer and longer and finer and longer. And oh, that's, right. that, that's great for dry flies, yep. but not so great for wet fly wings. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, we need some more, there, there's a few around, uh, uh, one in, uh, New York, your, uh, Collins hackle, uh, uh-huh. that, uh, I was just looking around cause I'm getting low and, uh, it seems like he's got a few more of those kind of old school birds. Uh, but yeah, we could use a little more round tipped, uh, uh, wet fly hackle. Nice. No, I was going to say, yeah, that look, that fly looks cool and it's got a big, yeah, big, nice, well, thanks. yeah, nice, juicy, round, uh, old school wing on it. And yeah, yeah all these steelhead flies are awesome. So I'll put uh, links out to this. Well, let, let's wrap this up uh, with the, um, the ask a pro segment here. Um, and I had a tip okay. or a question from, uh, Greg Jacobson and his question, I guess you kind of noted this a little bit starting out, but tip on tying small dry flies to so go back to the dry fly. So I'm not sure how small flies you tie, but that's that you know that's a challenge, right? Depending on the fly, tying a eighteen or twenty or even smaller. What what yeah, would be yeah. one tip you say if somebody's struggling with tying small dry flies? I'd say uh, right off the bat with tying uh, small flies is proper magnification or proper visibility. Uh, I'm fifty two at this point, so uh, uh, glasses are uh, key to everything. Uh, I don't know how old you are, Dave, but uh, uh, it's uh, uh, right behind you. <laughs> yeah, you got about a mid 40s cliff there. You're going to fall yeah. off into. Uh, uh, can't see anything up close. Uh, so, uh, number one, being able to see what you're doing. Uh, if you can't see the details, you're going to be terrible at this. And whether you need to wear the full, you know, journey to the center of the earth uh, uh, glasses, or you can get away with reading glasses, whatever. Uh, but you're you're definitely going to need something to be able to see well. Uh, second thing would be proper thread. Uh, typically, your 80 uh, uni is going to be kind of bulky for this stuff. It depends on the fly. Uh, if you need that strength, uh, I'll give a little plug here to Vivas. Uh, get yourself some Vivas 16 uh, mm-hmm. uh, unbelievably good thread in the smaller diameters, uh, uh, in particular. Uh, so yeah, good thread. And then, you know, just trying to, <laughs> if you're a beginner tire, 
probably use half of what you started with, uh, mm-hmm. as far as the material, like if you're, if you're cutting off a, you know, a section of dubbing to put in or whatever, you're, you know, starting with some dubbing, you probably have twice what you need. So try to keep everything as thin as possible in this, uh, I'm going to throw this tip out unsolicited in all aspects of dry fly tying. Do yourself a favor and get some good photos of the actual bug you're mm. trying to make a, a fly pattern of. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, my dry fly tying in particular is on or was on a, you know an exact curve with my ability to shoot uh, macro on SLR cameras. Uh, it just mm. it's an unbelievable parallel. You will learn a hundred times more looking at an, a good photo. Look at, uh, I mean, I've, I've got a bunch of photos around of flies. Uh, Ted Fasaglia comes to mind right off, uh, for the Northeast. Look at, uh, uh, photos of the bugs you're trying to imitate. You'll be shocked. Uh, everybody thinks the the mayfly has a, uh, 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 a, a rib that's darker than the abdomen. Uh, if you look at any mayfly, there's literally one mayfly where the segments, the, the, the segment line is darker than the body. Almost every mayfly, the segment line is lighter colored than the, than the actual body segment. Uh, show me a dry fly that's tied that way. Uh, (laughs) it, it really, there's something we're trying to imitate. Be as familiar as you possibly can be with what you're trying to imitate. That's a great tip. That's a great tip. And and on the uh, a little bonus tip here, I'm curious on the steelhead. Um, we could either talk about the bills or, or the fly or any like steelhead in general. What, and it sure. looks like you tied it on a tube fly. Do you tie? Um, maybe start there. Do you tie a lot of tubes? Then also give us a steelhead tying tip. Uh, I do tie a fair amount of tubes. Uh, I think some patterns just kind of uh, look a little better on a tube. Uh, some look a little better on shanks. I think. If I'm thinking back on the last couple of years, I'm probably 50, 50 for customers, uh, mm-hmm. a lot more shanks. I started making my own shanks a few years ago, uh, mainly because I thought the commercial ones were terrible and mm. massively overpriced. Uh, yeah. so, uh, I started doing it myself. Uh, so at this point I, I probably do a few more shanks than I do tubes, but it's fairly close. Uh, mm-hmm. let's see. I'm tying tips for steelhead. Let's see. Uh, and on your, um, as you think about that, I'm just looking at, so how do you, when you make your own custom, uh, shanks, you're just, this is just literally kind of, uh, describe that, how you do that. Oh, uh, well, I'm starting off with uh, stainless wire and then, uh, uh, essentially, uh, bending it. You have to kind of, uh, work through the formula of how long you want each, each part of the, the bend. You essentially have three parts, the, the main part, uh, and two return wires that are bent back, you know, one from the back and one from the front. Uh, so kind of figuring out how you want that to all lay out, uh, after tying on them over the years, I, uh, determined that I prefer to have that sort of nice flat, uh, platform or nice rounded platform, uh, down the fly. Uh, so the way I designed mine is, uh, the return wire from the eye goes all the way back to the back of the fly or the back of the shank, uh, in order to, to have a smooth transition there. So we don't have a big drop off somewhere. And then, uh, the return wire that starts from, uh, is bent from the rear of the shank, uh, comes up underneath, uh, the shank and ends at about a point where you would sort of end the body on your fly and begin adding hackles and whatever from there. 
uh, and setting the wing. So it, mostly an attempt to kind of smooth off what was the lumpy parts of other uh, commercially available shanks uh, there. So uh, essentially I'm taking a length of wire, uh, uh, bending it, forming an eye on w- one end, and then bending it, forming an eye on the other end. And uh, uh, typically either bending that up or down uh, or even straight, depending on the type of shank and shanks. And I do, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of standard steelhead shanks and then uh, shanks for streamers that have a little bit bigger eyes. Uh, of course, the articulated streamers are so popular these days. So uh, shanks that uh, work in conjunction with a hook or using multiple shanks together, uh, you know, having a little bit bigger eye tends to make them uh, not hang up as much. There you go. There you go. And, yeah. and I was just thinking on the tip, you, you mentioned the burning the hackle to imitate. Uh, oh, know, yeah. Kind of this. Yeah, but um, so there's that, but also the, um, so if you're putting that uh, hackle wing on top, yeah. h- how do you get that? Well, give us a tip there. How do you get that to stand up straight and not bend on you and, and be durable? Yeah, uh, well, the main thing is to uh, using uh, the right size feathers. You're, you're using the, the mostly the, the larger feathers on a cape. Uh, pretty much all, well, I shouldn't say that. I guess I do use some saddle too, but you're, you're typically using feathers that have pretty good stems. Uh, and, and that shouldn't be anything to, to kind of, you know, shy away from, uh, you want, you want fairly good, robust stems. Uh, the main, in any steelhead wing or, you know, salmon fly wing type of thing, uh, most of the trick to it is in the pre-tying, it's before you even tie it. It's the kind of manipulation of that feather to where it's easy to tie it in. Uh, so by the time I tie them in, they pretty much just sit right where they're supposed to. Uh, so what I would do is uh, I take two feathers that I, I think are matched. Uh, I put them together the way that they're going to sit. So that's going to be uh, inside to inside. So the outside of each feather is on the, on the outside. Uh, pinch them together, check them for length. Uh, I clip off the stem. And then what I do is uh, kind of pull uh, right at where I clipped it off. There's going to be, you know, fibers there. And I'll Mm -hmm. pull usually three or four of those fibers out perpendicular to the shank. And then I trim those off with, uh, with the scissors. And, and this is another, uh, it's something I do with dry fly uh, hackle too. Uh, If you pull those fibers off, you now created a very slippery stem that can pull out from under thread very easily. But if you cut those fibers off, you created either three or four little bumps there that yeah. are actually going to grab your thread and, and make go. it almost impossible to pull that wing out from underneath. Uh, so that's a, a good trick right there is not pulling those fibers off, but trimming them off. And then from there, uh, I hold the wing uh, in the position it's going to go on to fly. And on these types of flies there, uh, it's the old Sid Glasso technique of they're, they're sort of tented. So they're they're kind of pitched in towards the center of the fly a little bit. So each wing, uh, the center, uh, or the, the top of the feather is going to be over the center of the fly and the bottom of the feather is going to be over the side of the fly, uh, the way they sit. So they are kind of leaning in towards the center a bit. So what I would do is, uh, I'll hold that feather in the position I wanted to, and then I'm grabbing that cut off piece of stem with a pair of flat jawed pliers. And that player is going to mash the stem flat. And then from there, so I'm, I'm holding the players in my right hand. I have the feather in my left hand, put it in the players, mash it flat. And then I'm going to twist that, that stem a little bit to get it in the right uh, sitting position. So some of them, most of the time, if you're using a neck hackle, it'll, it'll squash almost in that position just because of the shape of the stem to begin with. 
Uh, but some of them need a little bit of manipulation, so you got to kind of twist them a little bit. And then the final step is to take the whole feather and push it towards the pliers while the uh, butt is pinched in the pliers. And that puts a little bit of a crook in it. And that allows it to kind of go up and then back. So you have, you've actually put a little bit of a bump in there. And that just makes your wings sit a little bit better. So. Nice. That's a killer. Yeah. Thanks for walking us through that. That's an awesome, awesome tip for sure. No problem. I, I hope it made sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it did. It did. Good. So, Good. well, I guess um, we, we put a, put together a show here, Nick. Uh, we've Great. got, you know, definitely some good tips here. Um, anything else you want to leave before we head out of here? It sounds, it feels like, um, you know, you've got people, if they want to connect with you, just, just head to your website or, or where, where should we send them if they want to connect with you and get some flies? Oh yeah. Yeah. The website's great. Uh, just, uh, uh, you know, emailing me is, uh, finally I look at my email every day. Uh, I, for the record, I'm not on Facebook at all anymore. So don't mm-hmm. even bother, uh, <laughs> yep. uh, sending anything there. Uh, I do look at Instagram just about every day too. So, uh, I'm usually pretty, uh, pretty reactive on there and, uh, I say definitely check my email every day. So. Okay, perfect. Yeah. We'll send everybody out to uh, nickpinesa.com or, yep. um, what's your Instagram uh, feed again? Is uh, Magog Smelt. Yeah, Magog. That's uh, how do you spell that for us? It's uh, M A G O G S M E L T. Old main uh, main fly pattern. There you go. Awesome. Good stuff, Nick. We'll all let you get out of here, and we'll send everybody your way. And uh, yeah, thanks again for shedding some light on what you have going. We definitely have been getting some requests from the the northeast part of the country, and you know, I know that's a hot Great. spot for steelhead and trout. So it's it's good. Uh, there's always another episode. So hopefully, we'll connect with you down the line. And uh, yeah, thanks again. You're welcome, Dave. Thank you. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all links, and everything else we covered today, head over to wetflyswing.com slash 288. Two and eight, two and eight, 288. We are approaching 312 episodes. If we keep this pace, I am guessing we're going to get there in about a month. 300 episodes. Do the numbers. Do the numbers. Uh, that is uh, that is a very uh, good-sized number. Um you can support this podcast at wetflyswing.com slash subscribe. Subscribe. Uh, you can get notified. And I mentioned that earlier about subscribing, um, subscribing to the podcast app. And obviously, that's a pretty easy way to do it because a lot of people listen on the app. But if you uh, go to wetflyswing.com and just click in the sidebar anywhere on there and, and subscribe to uh, what we have there at the website, you'll get some bonus uh, content, some bonus updates. There's some stuff there that we do. Uh, when we have new things coming out, uh, new trips, new uh, new products, new product. Maybe we have a new product coming out this year. Uh, new hat, uh, new a uh, new partner. If you want to check out some of the cool brands we support, obviously uh, we've had some cool sponsors that I've noted here today, um, and you can go there as well. But uh, but yeah, I just want to give a shout out to that because the the newsletter is a pretty big thing that we have going, and it's always a way to kind of dig deeper and get it all in one. Uh, value-packed, power-packed deal. So uh, there's always a bonus or two there. Thanks again. I appreciate you today for sticking with us. Um, You know, I'm not even sure where are we headed next? Where are we headed next? I don't have it in front of me right now, Um, but it's always always a good one. And we try to get a little bit in. If you have a question or a comment for the show, head over to uh, Wetfly Swing or just send me an email right now, Dave at Wetfly Swing. Dave at Wetfly Swing. I always love to see those emails. Those are the the special things. If I get those, you know, daily, it always makes my day. Um, and follow us on social. One last blast, and let me know what I can do for you. Thanks again. 
I am looking forward to connecting with you right now online, right now, or on the river, hopefully on a trip. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. 